Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Looking to advertise your crypto project? Reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities. My guest today is Alex Centerborg, founding partner of Tetris Capital. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. How is Tetris investing in this bear market? Uh, so since inception, uh, we really knew that obviously the asset class is still in its infancy. It's still going to grow. Uh, so we really set up our strategy to be as flexible as possible. Uh, so one thing I've always um, really tried to do from a context of a personal investor and now as an institutional investor uh, is really focus on liquidity and not getting really emotionally tied to any asset and really being cognizant of where uh, I think I am the overall market cycle. So 2018 has obviously been in a big bear market. Bitcoin has dramatically outperformed all sort of altcoins um, and liquidity has really seemed to dry up in overall ICO volumes as well. Um, so Obviously, investing in Bitcoin has really been kind of the best strategy or really cash or an inverse position throughout 2018. Um, so kind of to summarize, Tetris uh, from the from inception has been really focused on maintaining uh, overall portfolio liquidity and really being nimble and reallocating as we uh, see market cycles shifting. So I would definitely say our portfolio has gotten much more conservative from the start of 2018. And obviously, uh, we published a public short thesis a few months ago around uh, Ethereum position, uh, which we view as a really good hedge to sort of our core thesis around Bitcoin and the store of value assets. Uh, so really right now in my head, it's all right. Obviously, I'm extremely bullish on the overall asset class. I think institutional capital will fuel the next bull run. I think that will start uh, with Bitcoin as it has in the past. Um, and really at that point, uh, you need to be ready for an extremely sharp upward move at something like uh, an ETF approval. So some stats I think that are interesting are things like uh, what Fundstrat has put out, where essentially uh, you look at, you know, the percent of altcoins that have been up, you know, double or triple in the last 90 days. And really you can see that historically that sort of effect has really lagged after wealth has been generated in Bitcoin first. So as soon as really house money has been created, investors feel like at that point, you know, they're more wealthy. They can move a little bit out on the risk reward curve. Um, it's really at that point that you start to see a rally or you have historically in, in these uh, altcoin markets. Uh, so mm -hmm. right now we're allocating conservatively, you know, remaining true to our core positions in these store of value assets, uh, using things like shorts to hedge this sort of continued neutrality or any sort of bear market and really wait for the next catalyst to spark a bull market, which right now seems to really be around, you know, an, uh, an ETF or really institutional capital um, attractive type platforms like something like Bact. So it sounds like Tetris is kind of one of those funds that actively trades in the market. 
So when you really look across the whole uh, horizon, you know, I would consider someone who says they're an active trader to, you know, maybe be using some technical analysis strategies, uh, maybe be arbitraging across exchanges. Uh, I would say primarily, you know, I wouldn't really consider ourselves short-term traders. I generally think about allocating in sort of like three core buckets. Uh, so one is really like our long-term positions that we're very fundamentally bullish on. Think have a, you know, really large total addressable market and we can justify a really large valuation if everything works out. So really in that bucket, I view really things like Bitcoin right now, you know, the leading store value asset. Um, from there and in smaller allocations, I really view the middle bucket as something more like a thematic or narrative-driven uh, trade, something that, again, uh, we would only really look to do in something like a bull market where we do think that um, something outside of Bitcoin can actually provide that, uh, you know, really the adequate risk return from moving outside of Bitcoin to something less liquid and um, more volatile. Uh, so in there, you know, in this in 2017, I would say some good uh, narratives that were very present were things like privacy coins. Uh, so I think those are really interesting uh, right now, given that, you know, they also satisfy a lot of the check marks in the sound money thesis. A lot of them did not have initial offerings. And um, I think they're very attractive now because Bitcoin doesn't have any sort of privacy features, obviously. Uh, when Bitcoin was first created, I think uh, the narrative around privacy really helped uh, sort of take it where it was to to where it is today. But obviously, as time has gone on, people realize the block, Bitcoin's blockchain is extremely transparent. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is right the now... The criminals found out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so right now, I think the cryptocurrency market is a winner-take-all market. But you know, when there is uh, sort of unique, crucial features in other currencies, like you know, really privacy right now, that was a clear narrative, clear use case that's still present in cryptocurrency. When I think that will kind of go away as these uh, you know, privacy tech is in implemented into Bitcoin or into some sort of sidechain layer. Um, but that was a clear sort of narrative uh, that we saw developing through 2017. And that had really been developing before that. And then sort of our, you know, smallest bucket, the really uh, more risky stuff that we try and use to, you know, generate alpha above any sort of benchmark uh, would be our more short-term trades. Uh, so in there, it would be stuff like, you know, a SAFT or an ICO deal or perhaps a really quick trade. And, um, you know, something like... Um, why I don't really classify ourselves as short-term traders or like TA-based traders is really everything we do is around some, you know, core thesis we had. So I would say a good example of a short-term trade um, would be like something around the uh, SegWit 2x fork and generally how in, um, you know, late 2017, sort of following the Ethereum Classic fork and the Bitcoin Cash fork, uh, really everyone had this sort of free token narrative in their head in the market, you know, just hold these assets, hold them through the fork, and this will be like a value accretive event and your overall position, you know, following will be larger than what you had before. Um, so really that seemed like the uh, overall sentiment and market activity leading up to the SegWit 2x uh, fork as well. You know, everyone was piling into Bitcoin. No one was selling. And then, you know, when we heard the news that the proposal was sort of all falling apart, um, essentially right there was a major catalyst for us that, you know, capital is about to move back to its original allocation or as a, at a minimum, a lot of these people that were holding from the just for the fork are no longer holders. So um, again, it's more of a, you know, we need to construct a narrative or an overall thesis uh, really around a lot of times how, how we think money is going to move. I think that's a major you know, price driver, of course. And going back to your thesis on Ethereum and why you guys are short Ethereum now, are you, so first of all, why are you short Ethereum? And second, are you short Ethereum for the near term or for the long term or, or both? 
uh, yes, there's a lot of things to unpack on that. Um, I want to start in general with the fact that I think Ethereum is extremely interesting technology. You know, I'm a huge Ethereum supporter. I'm glad it exists. I think it's really interesting. You know, the app I made, Lawnmower, added Ethereum to it the second Coinbase did. What I think, though, I think that just the price got, you know, way ahead of the technology. Essentially, so a joke we like to say internally sometimes is, you know, you know, we're basically long Ethereum, just short ETH, as we are on a lot of these projects. <laughs> you know, I think I think a lot of these dApps are extremely interesting, I think, but just the tokens don't need to be there. They don't really accrue value well. Um, a lot of them are the result of illegal fundraisers. They add additional friction that, you know, really could just be ETH at the end of the day. Um, but but just to sort of zoom out, I guess the overall thesis there is, you know, really what we think is that, you know, the biggest total addressable market, the the crypto assets that are going to be the most valuable are, of course, those are going to, that are going to be store of value assets. You know, with Ether having nearly almost the same market cap that Bitcoin did at the end of the year, uh, we basically perceive that as, okay, you know, the market's kind of pricing Ether with a similar probability to be the leading store of, a- of value asset uh, compared to Bitcoin. Now, kind of the reason why I said that is Ethereum's like overall value propositions are really to either be this decentralized application platform or basically this fundraising platform. Uh, we think kind of both of those are flawed. You know, the fundraising platform, essentially, like I said, a lot of those we believe are uh, sort of illegal securities offerings, even if, you know, Ethereum right now was deemed not to be a security. But, you know, the SEC has still been silent on the actual offering itself. And then from the DAP platform side, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying. A lot of these tokens um, seem like they were really just sort of put in, you know, to fundraise. Uh, A lot of these uh, applications really aren't that decentralized. And, you know, even the ones that have launched that, you know, people so really waited for, you know, Augur was anticipated to be the the killer dap. I waited for that for years. And now to see it at a, you know, two digit daily active users is, is pretty surprising. So essentially our thesis revolved around, you know, fundamentally, we think that the the tech just got way ahead of the price. You know, it's it's it hasn't been that strong as you mean, a vice versa. The price got ahead of the tech. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, the price got ahead of the tech. You know, it, as a capital raising and uh, and a DAP platform, it hasn't been that successful. The future doesn't look that bright. The roadmap has sort of continually gotten pushed back on um, sort of the evolution of the protocol. And um, you know, if you're going to compare it to Bitcoin and something like the store value, uh, we just think Bitcoin's far superior from its you know monetary policy. The fact that it you know got started several years before Ethereum had no initial fundraiser, so thus is in the you know kind of has a green light uh, from regulators, at least relatively so, um, and the security model's been proven. So uh, sort of from all those factors, we don't see it, you know, being worth uh, anywhere close to as much as Bitcoin. Uh, But to your point, kind of how do you play that? Do you just short it to zero? You know, I think this market generally, you know, there's there's really not a lot of fundamental value in, in cryptocurrency. A lot of it's just relative, pure speculation. And, you know, again, just trying to like follow capital flows. So essentially how I view Ethereum, there's not, you know, we don't have a price floor that we're going to buy at. Uh, More at that point, I kind of go back to our original market cycles thesis. So really the reason that we hold Ethereum is again, a hedge against our core thesis that, you know, we're very long Bitcoin. Um, So essentially 
we don't really think that Ethereum can turn around, you know, unless a you know tech miracle happens overnight. We essentially think that capital needs to be created in Bitcoin first before it can flow to Ethereum. So essentially, the exit point would be more like when wealth starts to be generated into Ethereum, and we think it or in Bitcoin, and we think it might spark the next sort of um, alt cycle, just due to Bitcoin holders being a little more wealthy and starting to speculate a little farther out on the risk curve. Yeah, we'll we'll keep talking about this Ethereum thesis in a moment. But first, a quick announcement, which is that this ad spot could be yours. If you're looking to advertise your crypto or blockchain product or service, reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities on Unchained and Unconfirmed. I'm speaking with Alex Sonnerborg of Tetris Capital. So just going back to what you were saying about Ethereum do you feel like it will ever merit a large market cap? Because some, you know, I totally agree with you about how the price got ahead of the technology. And, you know, you raised Augur as an example. And I think part of the problem there, frankly, is just sheer usability. You know, I tried using it and it was really not easy. And this was after they had worked with IDO to, you know, generate kind of like a, a slick using product that would be somewhat easy. But, you know, I just feel like right now, there are really basic things in the background. And and this is actually a theme that came up in my interview with Crypto Kitties as well, where they were just, we, we made a joke that that when you go to the website, it feels like a 2018 experience. But then when you actually try to buy a crypto kitty, it feels like a pre AOL experience. So do you feel like someday Ethereum could merit a large market cap? Or do you feel like, you know, some people say the velocity of ETH will be such that the price won't ever really go that high? Yes, those are all really good questions. Obviously, all the Ethereum dApps at this point, um, you know, Ethereum is still in its infancy, you know, the network is still in its infancy. Making a nice, you know, user experience, like you said, is going to, it's going to take a while. I fully expect, you know, some of these dApps will, you know, obviously improve their user experiences over time. It'll be easier for you to use Augur. Hopefully it'll be easier for people to use decentralized exchanges, which, you know, I'm very bullish on. I hope those continue to uh, grow in volume and provide additional avenues for liquidity for, for me and other investors. But to your point, yeah, I don't necessarily think that just an increase in daily active users translates to you know, massive value appreciation for Ethereum. I really think that, you know, if you're going to do some discounted cash flow of the future demand for gas on the platform, just the magnitude of any sort of valuation that you can justify there just pales in magnitude to the valuation of whatever will be the, the leading store of value currency. Um, so despite if, you know, Ethereum could have, you know, great dApps that I might, you know, definitely want to use or I think will be interesting. But, you know, that kind of falls back to like, you know, the token velocity thing and just the fact that, you know, I'll probably just hold all of my wealth in the leading store of value and simply, you know, move my wealth to uh, whatever dApp platform token I need to use this uh, application. So, you know, that's part of it as well is, you know, Right now, I basically think these DAP platforms, you know, there's maybe 60 different DAP platforms. To me, I very much see that the, the cryptocurrency space is clearly a, a winner-take-all market, and I understand why people are going to, you know, hold their wealth in the most, uh, you know, liquid, secure money that the most people, you know, accept and, and recognize. But as far as DAP platforms, when I'm not storing the majority of my wealth there and I simply want to use an application for a small period... I don't really care if I'm going to be using an Ethereum DAP or any of these other 60 uh, DAP platform type of um, apps. So essentially right now I see that as a, 
basically these DAP platforms are subject to more competition um, in the interim because there's not as a much of a sticky sort of winner take all thing emerging like on the cryptocurrency side. Um, so to your point on original question, I guess I, I think the usage of, of DAPs will definitely increase and all these DAPs will get better. But no, I don't necessarily think that will translate um, into massive value appreciation because I don't think the token capture mechanism of a lot of these protocols makes a lot of sense. Um, and kind of tying that all together, it's uh, I think just um, this asset class is so interesting basically because it's this uh, what's what's weird and a lot of like tech and venture investors get caught up on is just trying to look at what the project is and how interesting the technology is. But the thing is, you know, it, it, and it's almost like the easy logic is like if it's used a lot and there's a lot of transactions, maybe we can take some little transaction fee and, you know, that'll be worth a lot. But the problem is just these these crypto assets are not equities. The value accrual mechanism does not work the same. You know, just because you're a token holder and some platform gets a ton of usage, that doesn't necessarily mean the token will accrue value need to be there or be worth, you know, really anything in the future. So, so that's kind of my thesis. I really think the store of value market is, is magnitudes larger than any sort of, um, DAP fuel type of market. So what's kind of interesting is I recently had Joe Lubin and Jimmy Song on the podcast because they have this bet going about dApps. And just from the way you were talking, I was like, oh, we could end up in this really funny situation where Joe wins the dApp bet, meaning like, you know, there are... So actually, the terms were not finalized, but which is a whole other story. You have you guys have to listen to that episode if you didn't hear it. Um, but but the basic bet is around like how much adoption the DApps will have, and so essentially, from what you were saying, it's almost like you could actually see adoption in the DApps. You know, people using them, but that 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 would not accrue to ETH in terms of um, value. So, so in the end, Joe may win, but uh, not become the multi, multi, multi-billionaire um, that he perhaps aims to be. Um, <laughs> one other thing that I actually just wanted to, to raise about that before we move on is, um, so in a way, it sounds kind of like your vision for how this future will play out is that it will be somewhat similar to the way people hold their money now where we use dollars on a day-to-day basis and maybe we have a little bit in our checking accounts and our savings accounts but then in terms of where we hold our wealth it tends to be in investments that you know of course are denominated in US dollars but the value of them is you know not correlated so is that what you're thinking Yeah. So the analogy that I like to use is almost like US dollars and your casino chips at your favorite Vegas casino. Like, you know, assume that your Vegas casino is um, some ether dap and, you know, dollars is obviously like your reserve currency. Um, So, you know, when you want to go gamble, you basically take your reserve currency, take the amount that you want to use over to the casino, turn it into that native currency if you're forced to use that, gamble, you know, as much as you want. And then at the end, you know, when you're done gambling, you're going to take your tokens back or all your winnings, convert it back into your reserve currency and use that. And you're not even going to consider keeping it in Vegas casino chips because you're unsure of like, you know, the SANS monetary policy or if they change something up on you or whatever, there's kind of not a point, you know, and you're not really, you don't really care like about that while you're there because you're only using it a day or two and you're only converting the amount of money that you want to gamble while you're there to it. 
Um, so I think that's a really good analogy to use and exactly how I would use Augur if I wanted to use it right now. I would take some of my Bitcoin. Um, well, if you needed like a, a rep token, obviously it's for uh, being an oracle. But if I needed some sort of token to um, gamble on any of these Ethereum dApps, I would convert just as much as I need. I would gamble with it. And if I had any left at the end of the day, I would convert it back to Bitcoin and hold that. So that's kind of my view of how this uh, will all work. And generally, you know, as consumers, we'll look for, um, you know, basically the dApps that have the cheapest and quickest UX. And we might care a little less about, you know, the monetary economics of is this on, uh, you know, Ethereum or Definity, because, again, we're not holding 99% of our wealth there. We're just using it to, you know, get the experience of the app while we're using the app. Huh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think our analogies are slightly different because I, in mine, it was like, you might use Ethereum on a database, databases the way you use dollars, but then your investment would be in Bitcoin. But then from the way you were talking, it was like, Bitcoin is what you hold as your money. And then when you want to use something, then you turn it into the casino chips, which is ether to use the dApps. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Or here's another analogy that's, uh, maybe even better. You know, if there's a tiny bit of, of Ether in your wallet or a DAP token in your wallet that you need to use the, the casino app, maybe you don't really care. You'll just use it there if you know you're going to come tomorrow. That's kind of analogous to gas in your actual car. So, I mean, like, you don't try and stockpile oil barrels. Obviously, that's, like, a lot of actual inventory, but you wouldn't either way. I kind of view using, you know, Ethereum and these DAP tokens in that sort of way where it's like you, yeah, you get as much working capital as you foresee needing in the very immediate future, but you're not stockpiling all of your wealth in, in oil. And most people probably feel less comfortable about just sort of the economics around holding all their wealth in a lot of oil versus just dollars, which people trust as their reserve currency, which I think will be analogous to Bitcoin versus DAP fuels and DAP tokens and, and such. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, this has been an incredibly fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from, from Raylene Gallipoli, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. <laughs>